The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Captain's log. Start eight. Thursday, March 19th. We've officially been quarantined for over a full week now without NBA. Hair is thinning. Patience, much like hair, also thinning. And yet, we persevere. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter. And as we've been doing throughout the week and what we'll probably do for the vast majority of our we-don't-know-how-long time off between sporting events, we will hit on the news of the day, anything that I thought was particularly interesting because, as I've said a few times this week, crap, we ain't got anything else to do. And then we've got 10 more picks from our Industry 8 category mock draft, our very early, I think uh, Adam called it the Corona Quarantine Mock That's been a lot of fun. I even took a young player later on in the draft. You won't. This is clickbait for a show next week, I guess. You will never believe who Dan drafted. You will the next couple of shows because they are all safe and a little bit old. Because we're only at pick 21 right now. We'll do 21 through 30 later on in today's podcast. First thing I wanted to talk about, and it's really, you know, at this point, what we're talking about in terms of NBA news is anything that Woj tweets out over the course of a day. What is the, what are the, what are the items related to the NBA that's getting sent out in any given day? Because right now, you can actually have a Woj Twitter alert on your phone, and you won't get very much. I mean, we're looking at, Let's see. What did what did he actually tweet? He retweeted a Bobby Marks ESPN Plus, or they call it E Plus, I guess, uh, note on how it's going to impact the CBA, which we're not going to talk about. We got some news on the Thunder, which we will talk about. We got some news on how the Nets, because there was a there was a pretty sizable backlash on the fact that all these NBA teams, there's like thirty percent of the NBA has been able to get tested for COVID, and then obviously the general populace has not been able to get those tests and so we we learned a little bit more on that front and that's that's it that's it right now i mean normally we get all sorts of good stuff well we'll glom onto what we can if we can find a good nugget here and there and i thought there actually were good nuggets from wednesday good nuggets (laughs) nikola Jokic is a good nugget also the news we got a good nugget so let's start with with that and I thought the most interesting news of the day, and we're gonna gl- we're gonna hold on to anything anything positive that we can locate during these trying times, and that is that the entire Thunder, the OKC, the Oklahoma City Thunder, released a press release saying that the entire team and its staff all tested negative, hundred percent negative, for the coronavirus, and that's a big deal, because what that means is that we did a little tide stemming. Right? That's a success. I know that there are massive, massive, life-changing, earth-shattering, economy-busting failures at hand here. This is not in any way 
a political statement. I have done my very damn best on this podcast to dodge political stuff as best I can. I do. I mean, I'll dabble in it on Twitter, but this podcast is a reprieve. So please don't misinterpret what I'm saying as anything other than what it is, which is a mathematical analysis of how this virus is attacking the world. And as we focus in, as we bring our camera in closer, as we turn the microscope up from 10x to 20x and say, well, did the NBA handle this properly? I've seen articles, there are plenty of them, and they have some merit saying that the NBA risked people's lives for profit, and, and everybody did. People, businesses still are, guys. You guys might not like this take, actually, but I'm going to throw it out there just because. I think those articles are kind of whack. I think those articles are kind of whack. I, I think I'm a pretty... I think I'm a pretty progressive guy, and that's probably the the progressive take to to have on this setup. But I think those articles are kind of whack to to call out the NBA for maybe playing too long, which is probably true. But they also were the, at least in the states, the organization that finally started the dominoes falling in the direction of things being canceled. It wasn't until the NBA shelved the league and that was wednesday that was not that long ago that was march 11th feels like a decade i know but they started the process was it early enough no clearly not the second that we had our first case in the united states we all should have gone into lockdown for 10 days so that we could get adequate testing because obviously i mean Whatever. Again, we're not going to get into that side of things. But in terms of what has actually... I mean, hindsight is a, is very easy. I'd love to say that I had the foresight when we were hearing rumors... Not rumors. We're hearing reports of what was going on in China, Italy, Iran, in the very early stages of this, and thought, well, we should probably go into a preventative lockdown. I didn't think that. I don't think any of you guys did either. And if you did... You're, you're, you're either lying or you're, you, you get riled up pretty easily. Because at the beginning, it felt like something that could be handled in some capacity. And now we're at a place, certainly, where things have taken off a bit. I want to go, go through this just from a, a thought exercise. To then come out after the fact and say, you played too long, yeah, no duh. No duh. We all should have done way more way earlier because things are going to keep getting worse on this front. But come on. Pot shots at the league that actually started everybody's beginning to make right decisions. The NBA, even if it was too late, even if there is some blame to be put on them for playing games when we should have stopped them. Remember, we got a report Wednesday morning of last week that the Nets and the Warriors were going to play a game with no fans in attendance. So things were already starting to move in that direction before the Rudy Gobert incident and then the suspension of the league. But we hadn't heard anything from any other professional organization in the United States. We didn't, we didn't have restaurants closing. The only thing we knew, this is freaking eight days ago, was that there were some cases we were worried about the, there was one in New York that I know everybody was really freaked out about, and for good reason, because the person didn't really know they had it, and they rode the subway, and so they had, had come into contact with hundreds, maybe thousands of people 
and then the nursing home in Washington. That was what we were, and the boats. Ugh, the cruises. Don't get me started on how gross cruises are. I don't think that's a hot take. And it was starting to spread, and epidemiologists and so forth. I, I mean, I think there, there were warnings out there. Things probably should have been done a few days in advance, but I don't think anybody on March 1st was saying USA's got to shut her down. And so then the NBA took the took the action, and yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it had almost everything to do with the fact that they got a positive test back for a player that kind of forced their hand, and maybe that's the take that should be out there. This should have been something that was considered more strongly before a player actually tested positive. But still, we have the NBA to thank for spurring the nation at that point. They were basically the first. And then the other sporting events started canceling and postponing. And concerts started postponing. And then we got all these rules out over the weekend. And then we've all gone into a bit of quarantine. The NBA was first, guys. Were you quarantining yourselves when you were calling on the NBA to stop playing games? I didn't, I didn't like those takes. I thought those were a little bit hindsighty. More credit should be given to the NBA for starting the process, even if it was too late anyway. In any event, back to the topic at hand, which I thought was actually a little bit of good news, the entire Thunder team and staff being tested and coming back negative is a really big deal because if the NBA had not shut down last Wednesday, I'm fairly confident that the entire Thunder team and staff would not have come back negative. If they had played that game on Wednesday, if Chris Paul walking up to the Thunder bench to find out what was going on and being shooed by the Thunder bench to say, get back to your side, there's stuff going on. If that all hadn't happened and these guys had been, well, for lack of a better term, rubbing up on each other for the game, if Donovan Mitchell, who was symptom-free but tested positive, had been dealing with Shea Gilgis-Alexander defensively, if they were guarding each other on offense, Dennis Schroeder, Chris Paul. NBA is a sweaty contact game. That virus would have been everywhere. And what we've done now, what the NBA did and what we're doing as a society, is by clamping off contact, you start to slow the spread of the virus. It's not going to go away. Because people are always going to do something dumb, and you can't eliminate all human-human to contact. We have to go to stores every once in a while, get groceries. There's just there's no way you can put an entire nation of 360 million people on lockdown in their homes at the same time. It's not going to it's 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 an inconceivable solution, but we can get as close to it as humanly possible. And again, these little steps that was nine days ago or eight days ago, excuse me, that that game was canceled. If that game wasn't canceled eight days ago and Donovan Mitchell had played not knowing he had the virus, because again, he was symptom-free, an asymptomatic carrier, and he gave it to two or three people on the Thunder, and they gave it to their families and other people in the Thunder locker room. I mean, let's take a, let's take a hypothetical example where things didn't shut down for even two more days. Let's say things shut down on Friday of last week instead of Wednesday. That's two days where... Donovan Mitchell would have played with, he would have spent more time with his teammates in the locker room, with his family, with friends. They might have had another game before things got shut down. It created 
that two days, one day, two days, that's all you need to start another wave. So by clamping things off last Wednesday, we prevented the thunder from getting it and anyone that they would have come into contact with over the next one, two, three, however many days it would have taken for their cities and states to go into a state of semi-quarantine. So already you're seeing the impact of some of these measures. That negative test for the thunder is a positive impact of the measures being taken. Does that mean this thing is going to go away quickly? God, no. We're a long way from that. But you can see how, you know, these quarantine days, they feel so long. I'm in there. With, I'm right in there with you guys on this. I mean, we're, we're all in this together. And we've talked about on this podcast, the fact that we're due to have our next kid. And that's a story all in itself because hospitals are going to be crowded for all the wrong reasons. So we're in full quarantine pretty much. And it feels like forever. But in eight days, looking back on the NBA canceling games as of the end of that Wednesday last week, eight days, we're already seeing the limiting effects of the virus, limiting the virus by quarantining, by separating, by ending these group activities. And so when these big measures, the more stringent stuff, was put in place generally over the weekend, even into Monday of this week, you can look back and the, the, you're going to see the numbers and they're going to be getting worse because that's from people that were already exposed, right? Like if we get positive tests today, that's from people who had been exposed to it before the measures on Monday, Sunday, Monday were put into place. And that's going to keep happening until next Monday, next Tuesday. So the hope, and this brings it back to that whole curve stuff and just from the math of it, is that the big measures being put in place earlier this week, we should start to see some of the positive impacts of them next week. The fact that the Thunder didn't get the virus is evidence that this can work. Does it have any bearing on when the NBA comes back? No. And Adam Silver was on the jump on, uh, on Wednesday and basically said he had no idea. They're just, they're playing it. They're taking it day by day. Doesn't if, I mean, every day feels like a week. Every week feels like a month right now or more. So we just you go day by day. You try to figure out what's going on. And there are going to be waves of this thing because we're going to feel like we start to get it under control in four or five weeks. And people are going to start to do stuff, feeling safe again, and then it's going to pop back up. But the hope is that it never hits that one giant mega inflection that crushes the hospital system across the country. They're going to be... They're going to be localized ones. Sounds like New York is probably going to get nailed. Washington's already getting nailed. We're hoping the Bay Area here in California is able to handle things. They've gone into a shelter in place. That stuff is going to happen. But the hope now with these measures being taken is that you can keep them happening everywhere. If it happens everywhere at the same time, we're in real trouble. Take these measures seriously. They are working. That I thought that was good news from yesterday. The other stuff on the Corona side was related to the Nets, who put out a statement basically saying that as the, as the Nets learned that players on other teams that had test positive, they also noticed that some members of the Nets were showing symptoms. They were symptomatic, meaning somebody had a cough or somebody felt a little feverish, a little fluey. 
And so they paid a private company. They didn't use the CDC's resources. They didn't use public resources. They didn't go to a hospital to get the test results because it was a, I mean, look, here's the thing. I know everybody's going to be super pissed about the Nets being able to get tests, but the general public not. And there is a case to be made that that's a little bit annoying and a bit unfair. At the same time, Nets players come into contact with thousands of fans, hundreds, thousands of fans. They need to know immediately if they had it so the Nets can put out word and anybody that went to a game of theirs can immediately self-quarantine. That's an, that's an epidemiological thing. If you have one person that went into a group of 10,000 and might have it, you got to test that one person. Because then you can stop those 10,000 people from going somewhere else. That's a possible hot spot. So anyway, I thought that was a, I thought that was a good thing for the Nets to put out from an optic standpoint. I thought it made things look a little bit better. I don't want you guys to think I'm letting people off the hook with all this. I just think these are incredibly difficult decisions. And to blame the Nets for getting the tests when the general public can't is not the Nets' fault. It's the fault of the fact that we don't have enough tests. But they did have a good reason for doing what they did. So try not to try not to kill them too much for that. They they were really trying to create an, an area, an atmosphere where if anybody had seen or interacted with their players, those could be those people could be alerted that they may have been exposed. And then take different precautions themselves. Let's talk about the mock draft a little bit. That was basically the news from Wednesday. Uh, mock draft continued. And we'll do picks 21 through 30. And if you're thinking, Dan, you're really trying to stretch this out. You are spot on, good sirs. Pick number 21. Oh, you know what? Let me just rattle off the first 20 so you guys are all caught up. Picks 1 through 20, Ace Ventura style. James Harden, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, Trey Young, LeBron James, Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, Bradley Beal, Nikola Vucevic, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Joel Embiid, Kristaps Porzingis, and Jason Tatum. <sighs> Ray Finkel, soccer style kicker. Graduated from Carlier High. Nick, Nick, nickname the Mule. I remember too many lines from that movie. Ben Simmons was picked number 21 for Alex Ricklin's team. He pairs nicely with Giannis from the first round in what has basically been constructed as a punt free throw team now, which I think you might as well lean into if you get Giannis early in the first. I don't know if he goes fourth in a lot of drafts next year after the way he's killed teams in free throw percent, but in head-to-head, which I, I think is how you're probably drafting here if you're punting one category right out of the chute. He has a very strong across-the-board team with the exception of three-pointers. It's going to be horrific in foul shooting, but threes you can make up later. There are ways to, to cover that ground a little bit later in the draft. So Ben Simmons at 21, not super unreasonable given where he is in 8-cat this year. Usually durable, although dealing with the back thing right now. He's number 20 on a per-game basis in eight-category leagues. And there's 
I mean, there's not much reason to think that he ventures too far off of that mark. So this is basically a, I'm going to draft a guy pretty much where he is right now and assume that he'll stay healthy next year. I took Jimmy Butler at 22, which is also basically where he is in 8-cat this year. I think he's at 24. And that's fine. I mean, looking at the way my team was built to this point, I had Cat in the first round, so I was hoping I could shore up steals, keep my percentages strong with the second pick. Cat is hitting three and a half three-pointers a game, so I wasn't super worried about that category in round two. You get an across-the-board producer to go along with Towns, and my team really isn't weak in anything after two rounds. And not that... I'm looking at, you know... I would say this this is actually a pretty damn good pairing in 9-cat if you could get it, but you, you probably won't. Still, my team is scoring. My team is rebounding. My team has okay assists, not stellar. You know, a team that has LeBron or Trey Young is going to have a leg up there. Westbrook is going to have a leg up there. Harden, a little leg up. But Cat was getting 4.5. Butler is at 6. So 10.5 assists between your first two guys? That's serviceable. I think I'll just have to target a point guard at some point in the next couple of rounds, and I'll be good to go. Pretty pleased with that, actually. Really safe pairing. Good in a lot of stuff. Drew Holiday went at 22, which is, I think, a little bit of a hope for a bounce back. He had a strange, he's had a strange season, but he's at 29 in eight category leagues this year. On about 20 points, five boards, seven assists, 1.7 steals, 0.8 blocks, and rough percentages. And for him, there is area for improvement there. If the percentages come back up, either of them, or even both, he can move up from 29 back into the low 20s or even the teens pretty quickly. Question is, how much is he going to get to do if that Pels team is fully healthy all the time? Now, I don't, they're probably never going to be fully healthy all the time because guys just get dinged up. Ingram's been a little dinged up from time to time. Not much, but a little. It's 56 games this year. Drew is at 55. Zion missed half the season. J.J. Redick is always out. Josh Hart plays himself into injuries. Derek Favors has stuff going on. Everybody's got something going on on that team. Lonzo Ball, he's out a game or two here and there. So I guess you can't really say, well, what if everybody's healthy all the time? You just assume that there's going to be a slight attrition issue with how many guys are on that team. But I don't, I don't, I don't like the ceiling for Holiday. There just isn't a lot for him... There isn't a lot of room for him to be the dominant force with that many guys around him that demand the basketball. Luckily, he does a lot of stuff in a lot of categories, so he can sort of cover up the fact that maybe there will be a usage dip from here from time to time. He'll run a little hot and cold. His defensive stats are so damn good that that alone is a reason to pick him up. So a 22, that's fine. I might go a little bit later. But it's not the end of the world. DeAndre Ayton went at 23. Excuse me, 24. Drew Holiday was 23. I had Butler at 22. i got to get my numbers right here. DeAndre Ayton is... He's been solid this year, but he has... He had the suspension, and his ankle is weird. It's a, it's a little bit wonky. He might be a guy I avoid in the first two rounds this coming year, which maybe isn't fair because he's so young that all of these things could just go away. And his fantasy game is pretty robust. Good percentages for a big man. Big-time rebounder on a team that doesn't really have much rebounding. With TJ Warren gone, he was kind of the only other guy that was rebounding on that team. Kelly Oubre has been asked to do a ton of it because Aiton can't do it all himself. 
1.7 blocks in his 30 games this year. That's pretty good. So a lot of this stuff is good, but I don't think his turnovers are going to be very high. So in terms of 8-cat versus 9, you probably see uh, a little bit of an advantage for him in 9-category leagues as an early-round pick. This is a, a play on him improving again, which he might. He might, but he also might not. I don't know if it's I don't know if I'm taking the gamble on him getting much better than he was this year. Still at 24, he's probably not going to be much worse than that. What's the worst case scenario for him? Top 30? So pretty safe by all accounts and it's far be it for me to pick on a relatively safe pick. I'll say there are a couple guys behind him that I think I probably would have taken a flyer on first. This is n- probably not one of them. Kyrie Irving went at 25, which is really interesting. The fact that people, this the, a graphic of the picks in this was put up on Twitter yesterday, and people were clobbering Kyrie at 25. Guys, I think we've lost track of what's going on here. There's a forest for the trees situation happening. Yes, Kyrie only played 20 games this year. But when he played, he was the number six fantasy player in 8-cat. And I think better than that in 9. I think he was number five in 9-cat, if I'm not mistaken. That's crazy impressive. Number six? And he's getting drafted 25th because he only played 20 games this year? That is... That's fully unacceptable in in my respect in my eyes. I mean, this is to me this is one of my actual favorite picks in the draft. You know how I hate to take any chances in the first two rounds, and I'm usually pretty darn safe even in the third. But Kyrie Irving, who has truly been dinged up throughout his career, there's no there's no way around that. He's never played more than 75 games, and generally he's more in the 67 to 71 range, or worse, 53 in 2015, 59 his second year, 51 his first season, one of those might have been a strike year, 20 this year, 72, 60, and 67 was the three-year stretch in between there, which you could probably call one of the better stretches of his career. So let's assume he plays 65 games this coming season. 65 games at a top 10 clip, and I know KD's coming back, so maybe he won't be top 5, but Kyrie's fantasy game cruises into the first round because both of his percentages are spectacular for a guard. Free throw shooting is not that hard to do as a point guard, but his field goal percent is always super high, and it might even be better with KD near him. He's going to score, he's going to hit threes, he's going to rebound, he's going to pass, he'll get you some steals. There is... A lot to like there. And my argument for Kyrie Irving next year, I mean, screw 8-cat or 9-cat. It doesn't really matter. If he falls into the third round, he's basically my Chris Paul argument from this last season, which is I'm expecting this guy to play 65 games, but I don't actually need more than that. 65 games of Kyrie Irving this coming season is basically going to be Kawhi Leonard from Toronto where he played 60 games at a top 10 clip, and so overall that put him at 21. Any game over that, he basically moved up one slot in the standings. If he got to 65 games last season, Kawhi probably would have been number 17 or 16. If he got up to 70 games, he would have been a first-rounder. And that's what you're going to get with Kyrie next season. If he plays 60 games, he probably beats this 
25th draft spot. If he plays 65 games, he clobbers it. So that's a chance I'm willing to take. Now, could he get hurt and miss the entire season again? It's conceivable. This has been a weird year and an ugly one. But next season with KD back, you can bet they're going to be gunning for a championship. I mean, hell. they. I mean, this might be a 65-game season next year when all of this stuff shakes out. So he might not even need to be looking at 82. I love this pick at 25. I'm really surprised people don't like it. Kyrie Irving at 25, a first-rounder at 25, just because of the injury stuff? That's, I mean, that's that's wild. John Collins went at 26. I actually really like this pick as well, and I'm fairly surprised he fell this far. In fact, I strongly considered taking him with my pick where I took Jimmy Butler at 22, thinking, damn, there's no way John Collins gets back to me, and then he went right before. He almost got back to me. That surprised the hell out of me. Dude's had a great season this year, outside of the suspension, of course, but he's number 11, even an 8-cat with those low turnovers because he's been brilliant. I think he's going to be number 11 again next year. Probably not. I mean, a lot of this stuff for Collins most likely would have leveled off a little bit over an entire year. It's a lot easier to play with this kind of energy for 40 games instead of 80. Be someone that could actually keep getting better and I don't think, I actually don't think he falls this far in most drafts. I think that people overlooked him a little bit. That's a hell of a pick. Pick number 27 was mine again. I went Andre Drummond, and I feel like I need to defend myself on this one. I have two words. I think that's all I need to defend myself on this pick. My two words are contract year. And I know what you're thinking. Dan, wasn't that your reasoning for drafting him this season? Yeah, it was. And then he went and he mailed it in for a while. And then got traded. And then he's missed some games with the calf stuff. And he looks semi-focused. And he cashed in his player option. Because he realized nobody wanted a center of his ilk. This coming season, he doesn't have that player option. There's no safety net. So he's going to have to go full bore for however many games the season is next year. I think you're going to see a jazzed up Drummond and by the way he's actually been better in 8-cat this last season because of his obscenely high 3.6 turnovers a gross number that I really didn't see coming and has been part of his detriment especially lately but 18 points 15 rebounds two steals and one and a half blocks you just you can't get that in that many places you're going to have to build a team that can knock down a crap ton of free throws around him, but I don't feel like that's all that tough. I had Jimmy Butler and Cat going into this one, both solid. I mean, Cat was at 80% this year, which I think he'll be higher if he's healthy for an entire season. Jimmy Butler, high volume, 83. That's not going to counterbalance Drummond by itself. So you're going to have to keep an eye on that, and at least one, maybe two picks coming up are going to have to be strong, positive free throw guys. But it covers a lot of things for my team. It didn't cover the fact that my team is still a little bit weak in threes and a little bit weak in assists. So I had to keep that in the back of my mind. But again, Andre Drummond was number 18 in 8-cat this year. People are treating him like he's a you know outside the top 30, top 40 kind of guy. I know he hasn't settled in perfectly in Cleveland, but Tristan Thompson is gone. His contract is over. So... What are we talking about here? Drummond's your starting center. 
There's no competition there. Kevin Love, Larry Nance, they'll rotate those big men around next season most likely. He's going to get his full complement, and he's just going to go out there and rebound like a maniac, like usual. And he needs to get himself a contract. Bam Adebayo was picked number 28, which is honestly not that crazy. He's number 30 in 8-cat this year on a per-game basis. Much better than that by totals because he's played in all 65 Heat games. Question really is, where where is the improvement? And that's not to say that there won't be one. In fact, I, and I, I believe there probably will be some improvement for Bam. And if I'm looking at anything, I'm looking at you, free throw percent. But the other stuff for him is almost maxed out. 16 points, almost 11 rebounds, 5 assists, over a steal, over a block. 57% shooting on 11 shots a game. The only thing I can think of would is would his volume... Could he increase his volume? Could you get that 11 shots up to 11.5 or 12? Now, the way this Heat team is constructed, I don't, I don't think so. He's not a create-your-own-shot guy, at least not yet. So I'm looking at you, free throw percent. If Adebayo can get his free throw percent up from 69 to like 72 or 3, that's how he clears this mark. Durability being the 10th category, or in this case the 9th category, is a factor. And so at 28, I got no problem with it because he's, he's run away from that by totals this season. He's been brilliant by totals. He's number 12 in 8-cat by totals. So he crushes an ADP of 28. But again, you're looking a little bit at that per-game stuff because you, you never know if a guy's going to play every single game. You can't expect it. And you want to see an improvement in his stats. It's going to have to come at the free-throw line. Pick number 29 was Pascal Siakam, belongs to our buddy Josh Millman, who is number 33 on a per-game basis in eight category leagues, on 23.5 points, 7 out of rebounds, 3.5 assists. The reason that I think you say that you like him to maybe take another step forward is that Kyle Lowry signed that one-year extension, and there's a possibility that Toronto kind of, quote-unquote, blows it up next year, and they go into a rebuild. If they do that... Pascal is going to be part of it, the the rebuild, along with probably OG Ananobi, Norman Powell, maybe Freddie Van Vliet. So there will be a lot to go around, and you know they love to play their guys giant minutes. Say Ackham's averaging 35 and a half minutes a game this year. That's among the league leaders. The Raptors are among the league leaders in minutes played at pretty much every position on the floor. By the way, that's not a great sign for their durability, but worry about that bridge when we get there. Probably a little too early for me on this one, but I get it because there is an opportunity for another step forward if the usage takes another step forward. And finally, pick number 30 as we wrap up our day is Brandon Ingram. So what is Brandon Ingram? Is he the top 20 guy he was when he was the last man standing? Or is he more like the top 40 guy that he's been since the Pelicans have been fully healthy? Or do you just split the difference and call him pick number 30? Makes sense. He's number 22 in 8-cat right now. In sort of a tale of two season portions, where Ingram didn't slow down a ton, but did slow down some. You know, there's no mistake in the fact that as the team got healthy, the last nine games... 
He was outside the top 50. I mean, we're <laughs> things are things are dicey in the NBA right now when you're trying to sort by uh, date ranges because now we're starting to get into there was an all-star break in there. We're into a suspension, all this stuff. Brandon Ingram is number 41 over his last 20 games. So maybe that's who he is now. Maybe he's a top 40 guy. And so, because you know, for me, because of that question mark, because there is a chance that things take a little bit of a hit, I probably am not targeting him. And where else does he show massive improvement? The fact that he added all those threes and completely fixed his free throw shooting and he actually is getting steals and blocks. To me, there's more room for a step back for Ingram than there is for another step forward. I don't see where the other step forward comes. That's where I, I run into a little bit of an impasse on this one. So I think I'd be targeting him probably about five to eight picks later. But he had such a massive, massive three-month stretch this year that he's probably not going to fall to me where I'm targeting him. So if you want him, you probably got to get him around here. I'll probably just let him slide by. Not because I wouldn't want to put him on my fantasy team. He's had a fantastic season. But because at this at 30, when you're looking at some of the guys that are still on the board, to me, there are just a few more what you'd call probably sure bet types. Sure bets to hit that mark or maybe even pass it ever so slightly. Not many. Not many. You're in a spot where you're you're getting cut down a little bit. There really aren't that many of these guys left that, that might sneak inside that top 30 spot. Maybe like a Zach Levine, I think, is still on the board here. Does someone else that we haven't discussed take another leap forward? But just looking at some of the names that are drafted shortly thereafter, JJJ, maybe. Lonzo Ball, oddly enough, has had a really strong second half of the year. Jonathan Isaac, but he's a low turnover guy, so maybe a little bit more of a nine-cat type. Who do we make the argument could actually get inside the top 30? D'Angelo Russell? He's been close to that in eight-cat. Shea? Could Kemba Walker bounce back and get near the 30 mark again? Kyle Lowry, does he hold on to health for one more year? Because he is number 19 in 8-cat this year. So there's some maybes out there. And so for that reason, again, I can't really pick on Ingram that much because he's basically a sure bet to be inside the top 50. When you're drafting at 30, you're probably looking for someone that's a sure bet to be inside the top 40, and that's just not that far away from what I said. And with that, we'll take a break. We'll take a break. Finish things up tomorrow. We'll finish uh, picks 31 through 40 and our mock draft on the Friday show. We'll get you guys to a weekend. Hopefully we can bring you some kind of any half-decent, we don't know what kind of news on all this crazy stuff going on. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am once again Dan Bespris. Talk to me on Twitter. I'm bored. <laughs> oh, NBA League Pass is free, by the way. They're showing old games. But I ranted about this on yesterday's podcast. I just can't watch things that I've seen before unless they are particularly, particularly special. And, you know, regular season game between who and what is, uh, doesn't really fall in that category for me. Maybe we'll do a mailbag show next week also. Start to get back into things a little bit. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody, as best you can. Stay safe. If you got to go out, do it quick. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.